We, we are in a series called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and we named it that series, uh, the title, because if you read Matthew 5 to 8, that's what the Bible calls it, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is one of the uh, most uh, talked about sermons and teachings of Jesus. And what I really like about it is that Jesus covers all these different topics, some very hard topics to talk about. Uh, and last week's topic was a tough one. We talked about anger and lust and that, that how that plays out in our hearts. Today is another tough topic that we're going to talk about. And the reason why we kind of go through Scripture, the, the way that we go through Scripture, we mentioned this last week as well, is we pick large portions of Scripture to read through together because it helps us, one, understand how to read Scripture better on our own, to understand context. You can't just open the Bible and whatever you think it means, that's what it means. That's not how it works. There's actually a meaning to Scripture, and we have to dig uh, to find that. And then there is also uh, why we do it is because we don't want to skip over portions. You know, a lot of church on Sunday has become self-help uh, books, right, where it's just you come in, you get a motivational message. Hopefully that motivation carries you for more than an hour after you leave here, and then, you know, next week you, know, you need another shot of that motivation, and that will keep you going. But uh, if, as we go through what I pray that we experience is what Jesus called truth and grace, which is we can experience the truth of his word, which is many times painful, many times hard to hear, convicting, but it frees us in the truth. There's freedom, uh, but also there's grace, uh, which is the, the part, the band-aid of the pain, the, the part where his comfort, the Holy Spirit, can help us walk through this, realize that there's forgiveness, that there is freedom uh, in our lives, that our sins no longer have power over our destiny but his freedom comes in. I give that long introduction today because we're talking about a, a topic that is very painful. Um, we're going to be covering divorce and oaths today. And the topic of divorce specifically is a very hard topic to go through. Uh, just because with divorce, uh, many of us have come from divorced families growing up. And there are many people here that have walked through divorce and the pain that it bears. And one thing I want us to keep in mind as we read this is that uh, we started off this series reading one of the Beatitudes, which is um, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I want us to remember that, that we are not perfect people. Uh, the, re the, the reason why we can understand that God does not expect perfection from us is because he sent his son to die on the cross to be the sacrifice for our imperfection. And so as we read this hard truth today, I pray that the Holy Spirit comes with grace to help us accept and to hear it as we talk about it. And if we are people that have been through the pains of divorce, uh, I pray that we understand that there is forgiveness um, and that there is grace for what we're talking about. Um, and what we have been doing is we've been going through the law, as Jesus explains it. Jesus says this. He says he's the fulfiller of the law, and that means he draws it out and he fills it up. And in his drawing out of the law and filling it up, he explains what it truly means, what its true intentions were. And so last week, we talked about two of the commandments, do not commit adultery and do not murder. And we explained what those truly mean outside of the 
what you would call a literal understanding of that. And so today, like I said, we talk about uh, divorce and oath-taking. And so we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 37. You can read along with me in the screens. It says, Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right. Um, so the first thing that we're going to talk about is this first portion, verses uh, 31 and 32, which covers the topic of divorce. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not to bring condemnation. You know, if you have struggled with this and you read this and think like, man, um, I have sinned in my life, then I want you to understand this. We have all sinned. We have all been there. And there is forgiveness for sin. And that's what we go to Jesus understanding every single week. God, I am not perfect, and I thank you that I can boldly go before the throne of grace, even in my sinfulness, because you have covered me and called me a saint. And so, but also there are some other things that we can learn from this, even if we've painfully been through this. For those of us that are not married, I hope that today shows you the importance of marriage. You know, a lot of time, um, as I was one single, I remember the thoughts of, I just want to get married ASAP, right? That is a lot of times the thoughts of singleness and talking with a lot of singles. You know, I did youth ministry, young adults ministry for years, and it's just the thing, right? I, I just want to find somebody and I want to get married. And I hope that the weight of today can help you put the pause on wanting to get married right away. Um, you know, the, the saying says it's always the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, and I got advice from my older brother, and he said to me, enjoy your singleness because you will never be single again. Uh, and for those of us that are married can understand what that means. Single days are something that you don't get back. There's nothing bad about marriage, but there's something that you lose when you're not single anymore. It's called sacrifice. We're going to talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> and then when kids come, forget about it. <laughs> Me and Heather always say, remember when we were single? And we really mean, remember when we didn't have kids? And then I pray also that for those of us that are here that are struggling in our marriage, I pray that the Holy Spirit comes and he renews your vows with each other and your commitment first to Christ and then to each other. So let's talk about the context of what Jesus is talking about here. We realize that every week as we read, context is very, very, very important. Um, and we keep on hearing, you know, as we talk about the law, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they do this thing with the law as they talk about it. And every time they 
talk about the law. They tried to make the law as easy as possible. If you know about the Pharisees, you know that they committed their life to following and being obedient to the law. Uh, and if, you, if that's all that you know about them, then you think this, like, yo, those people are really good people. Like, wow, they really just dedicated their life to keeping the law. But how they interpreted the law was they made it as lax as possible and kept on interpreting and reinterpreting it so that it was as easy as possible to follow. And what that meant was that the righteousness that they carried for being obedient, quote unquote, to the law was an outward righteousness. And what Jesus has been saying over and over again in describing the law and his fulfillment of it is I'm looking for an inward Righteousness, one that starts with the heart, that is not just an appearance of good, but actually changes our hearts and our character to be righteous like he is righteous. And so there's two things that we need to know about that are happening during this time of why Jesus speaks on this topic specifically and why he says what he does. And the first thing is this. Uh, in Deuteronomy 24.1, this is where it talks about this law, and so we're going to read it real quick on the screen. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house. So the Pharisees had taken this, and they had, there was two camps that had looked at this law, and they interpret it two different ways. One camp said this. They said, oh, look, it says if he finds any indecency in her, he can divorce her. And what did this do? They interpret it this way. It literally, I'm not even playing around. This is like, if you think, um, you know, men are just coming up with crazy stuff just today's age, you think 2,000 years ago, they were just as crazy. They interpreted the law this way. If my food comes out burnt and I don't like it, that can be my reason for That's how they said indecency. This is what it means. So literally, they were saying, hey, if you don't like the way she cooks, divorce her. And this is the culture that they were living in. So there were two camps, and one camp said, hey, that word indecency, we're going to make it mean anything possible, all the way down to it cooks, how, how a woman Cooks. And, and this is crazy, right? We read this today and we think, this, like, what, what are they thinking? Some people are also listening, thinking like, yeah, this sounds about right. No, <laughs> this is not right. This is not grounds for that. Uh, and so a lot of the Pharisees, a lot of the scribes were giving in and, and, and interpreting the law this way. Again, like we said, an outward righteousness, as lax as possible so that they can, you know, get a divorce, but they could do it in the widest range possible. If they even found somebody that they thought was more attractive, they would get the okay to get a divorce because that was finding indecency in their partner. And this sounds a lot, you know, like what we deal with in today's culture, and we think, oh, this is something new. If you read Ecclesiastes, it says there is nothing new under the sun. And this is the truth. There is really nothing new under the sun. Men and women have been trying to figure out how to get rid of each other since the dawn of time. There is nothing new under the sun. The second way that they interpreted this law was actually a way that Jesus is talking about it here. That indecency meant committing adultery, which was the 
act of sex outside of marriage. Uh, and so Jesus is saying here, listen, you guys, how you interpret the law, how you've, trying, how you've been trying to do it is wrong. And this is the right way. Um, he is putting himself on a side of an interpreter that was not popular in those days in what he was telling them. And the second thing that we need to understand in context in culture is that culturally at this time, men could also just um, have sexual relations outside of, outside of marriage with unmarried women as much as they wanted. It wasn't considered wrong. So if a man was married and he went and he had sex with an unmarried woman, it was thought as okay. But if a woman went and had sex with an unmarried man outside of marriage, she was considered an adulterer and was kicked out. So it was a huge double standard. And a lot of things that Jesus does is he comes at culture and he attacks the chauvinistic or the man-centered ways that we even find ourselves attacking these days of like, hey, men and women were created in the image of God. There is no one that he said, you are a better creation than the other. And so much of history, because of literally muscles, uh, men have taken that role of saying what we want to happen will happen. And Jesus here, as he constantly does, is correcting the culture and saying, no, actually, uh, there is no double standard. There, there, there is not something that you can do and it's right and she does that's wrong. Uh, if either of you do this, it is that act of adultery. And so it's, it's, in, it's important to understand that divorce is not just a present-day reality. You know, a lot of times we hear statistics, the 51% of marriages end in divorce, one in every two marriages. Uh, uh, statistically, that's where it is going. And we think, man, this is a real problem in our culture. And we think this is just something that we're dealing with today and just something that we have to deal with in 2017. Uh, and it just, it shows, you know, the end times are coming because, you know, everything bad is happening and all this stuff. And it's just like, no, sin has been part of our nature since Adam and Eve sinned. And as soon as they sin, they brought sin into the world, and we have been people that have been born into sin and have been perpetuating systems of sin, whether personally or systematically as nations and as cultures, we have been perpetuating these things. And the only way out of these systems, the only way out of this individually is what Jesus has done on the cross, and that is what we're going to be talking about. See, this is not just something that has arisen now. It is something that we have been dealing with for a very long time as a human race. And so I want to read a passage in Matthew 19 where Jesus talks about this topic again. And we're going to read about it on the screen. Later on in the, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this. And the Pharisees came up to him. And tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And that word, that those words, any cause, that's how they were interpreting indecency, what we just talked about. And so Jesus is directly answering them. And he says this. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And you see here, they're twisting what we read in Deuteronomy. Moses never commanded to give a certificate of divorce. He only said what was lawful um, in certain circumstances, but never told them to actually do it. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses, what, not commanded, allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So this is what this passage, Jesus further elaborates on his idea and his views of marriage, which are important. He says, when two people get married in the eyes of God, they are what? They are one. They are one. And God sees himself being very, very involved in marriage. You know, the state can say whatever it wants about marriage. We can say whatever we want about marriage. But God has something that he says about marriage. And it is this, that he is very involved. That when people come together, they are coming together in a union that people should not separate because he is the one bringing them together. So this is not something that we do at a whim, but this is something that is God-ordained. And you know, um, it's important that we understand that about marriage. Uh, and it's, it's something that, thankfully, uh, I, I believe that everybody should go through marriage counseling before they get married because, like I said, you know, uh, when we're single and ready to mingle, we can only think of a couple of things. Uh, and we don't think through what it means to wake up next to somebody for the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> and it's like when you wake up, you're going to see one face every day. And so you need to make sure that you like seeing that face every day when you wake up. And there's a lot of things that come with seeing that face every day. There's, there's you know, I won't get into it, but there's a lot of things that come. <laughs> and, and so me and Heather, you know, as we were kind of going through pre-marriage counseling and reading books, uh, there's something that we decided to do, and it was this, that we would not talk about divorce uh, as we got married. This was not something that we would hold over each other's head. Uh, this was not something that if we got into an argument, we would say to them, hey, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to divorce you. If you don't start taking that garbage out at night, just wait for it. You don't do it for a third time, then goodbye. You know, if you don't start vacuuming on time, you know, if you don't start doing this on time, then guess what? I'm going to leave you. And a lot of times this becomes the default mode of how we argue with each other. And so um, thankfully we had good counsel you know, before we got married and we realized, hey, going into this, we're not going to use these words. We're not going to use the words divorce. We're not going to talk about leaving each other. We're not going to hang this over each other's head to try to get some upper hand in an argument. And that comes from understanding God's intention for marriage. Not our intention for marriage, but God's intention for marriage. And so why do we get it so wrong? A lot of times. And it's uh, because of this. Because we say marriage is about love. It is actually about love. But the tricky thing is, how do you define love? 
That's where the tricky situation comes in. Uh, See, if your idea of love does not stem from a biblical understanding of love, from a Christ-centered understanding of love, then you are talking about a very, very different word that can mean very, very, very different things. And so first we have to look and understand what is the foundation of this word love that we talk about. And it does mean Christ's understanding of love. And what is, what is Christ's understanding of love? Well, love is actions. It's, it's what you do. You know, you could say you love somebody a million times in your head, but you treat them like garbage, then I don't think you love them. Love is what Jesus says. It's, it's sacrifice, right? He showed his ultimate love and his sacrifice for us. Love is not getting your own way. That is love. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and three times God, he prayed, take this cup from me. But if your will demands this, then I am going to do this. Love is patience. Love is when someone keeps messing up, having patience with them to walk through that with them. Love is merciful, not giving someone what they deserve. You deserve for me to scream at you right now, for me to curse at you right now, for me to say all kinds of things to you right now. But there's mercy that's been extended to me, and I extend that to you. Love is kind. Love is forgiving. And these are the things that marriage is built on. See, love is not a daily check-in on whether I feel happy or not. That's not love. And unfortunately, that is what love has become in today's culture. You know, I was um, talking with somebody after they had separated. Um, They weren't Christian. And uh, I was just asking what happened. You know, I didn't realize something was going on in in their marriage. And the person confided in me and just said, we realized that what we had agreed upon before marriage, we didn't agree on anymore. You know, where we wanted to take our lives and our careers and our family. And so we realized that since we had such different ideas now of where we wanted to go in the future, that we couldn't make each other happy anymore. And so it didn't make sense for us to separate. And I was just thinking, you're right. If that's your idea of love and and what a relationship is built on, then I agree. You know, you shouldn't be together. But when love has the definition of Christ and how he loves the church, how he's loved his people that is full of sacrifice, that is full of forgiveness, that is full of grace, that is full of mercy, that is full of kindness, that is full of patience, that kind of love, when marriage is built on that, that is not easily broken. But when love is, I wake up and, man, I'm not happy today and I'm not happy tomorrow and I'm not happy the next day, then I don't want to be with you. Well, if that's your definition of love, then, yes, it makes sense. But biblically speaking, we have to understand that we need to come into this with the same definition of love. In sickness and in health, till death do us part. In the good times and in the bad times. 
Jesus even says that, yes, I, I allow it for adultery, but it's because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of human weakness that I allow it. And when I start to think of Jesus and how he has loved the church, and I think of how many times the church has committed adultery on him, and how many times he has not sent us away but yet embraced us even more. I think, man, God, this is, this is love that I want my life to be built on. This is love that I want to truly understand how to love my wife or love my husband just like you have loved the church in this same way. And so then you start asking yourself, well, when is divorce appropriate? And that's what Jesus says. First, we need to understand this, that God's first preference is that it never happens. His first preference is that we don't have to go through this. But because of our weakness, he understands, because God is very understanding, that there are times that he will allow us to walk through it. And that's what I want to talk about for a few moments. One theologian and scholar says this, realize here that Jesus is laying down great principles that should guide conduct. He is not making laws or giving a precise list of occasions when divorce might take place. And this is why context is so important. Because we have to understand who Jesus is speaking to and what is he saying, and then that helps us fully understand what is happening here. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, 15 to 16, Paul also lays down another principle of when it is okay uh, for divorce. And he says that it's okay when a believer is deserted by an unbelieving spouse. And if we start to dig into the Greek there, we're not going to do it here at Sunday service. What I will do is online. Uh, if you are, have our app or you are on our online network, I'll post it during the week. If you dig in to the Greek of what Paul is saying here, then we realize that there are allowances for divorce. We look at this and we say this is unfortunate, but sometimes it is necessary because we are humans, we are weak, and we are not God. So there is a limit at times to what we can handle. And so the Greek... In this, 1 Corinthians gives us kind of two understandings. One is abandonment and one is abuse. And so, biblically speaking, we say these three things. I call them the three A's. That if you wonder, well, when is it allowed? We pray it never gets here, but this is when it is allowed. And we say this with sadness in our hearts. If there is abandonment, someone is completely abandoned, walked away. If there is abuse, there are many different types of abuse. There is physical, there is emotional abuse that happens in relationships. And then if there is adultery, those three A's. And those are where we see as people that there are allowances for this to happen. And if you are coming and you are saying, man, I'm here today and none of these three reasons fit the bill of why I've made decisions in my past, maybe around divorce or separation, then I pray that you understand God's forgiveness. I pray you understand that as we follow him, as we come to a place where 
we believe in his good news and what he's done, says that he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and gives us a clean slate, a new heart, and a new person. So there is a time where you can come and say, God, forgive me, I repent, I turn away from the reasons why I made this decision in the past. And I come to you now and I renew my commitment. I follow you. And I realize how you view this topic and how you view a relationship and a marriage. And that, moving forward, is how I will view it. The takeaway, though, should be this, that God ultimately wants reconciliation and not divorce, but allows for it due to the hardness of our hearts or the weakness of human beings. He understands our sinfulness, but ultimately he wants reconciliation because that is the great story of humankind between us and our God. It's reconciliation. It's us turning our back away from him and saying, I want nothing to do with you, and God's still pursuing people to the point of death on the cross and then breaking the thing that held us so that we can be in reconciled with him again. And the next teaching follows this closely. It talks about oath-making, about keeping our word, that when we say we will do something, that we do it. See, back then... They would come up with all these fancy oaths and all these fancy ways of saying something. That if, if I, I, I'm going to, you know, today, this is what we say. I, I swear on the grave of my mother, right? I don't like even saying that because I feel a little sketchy saying it. But I hear that a lot. You see it in movies. Like people swear on anything. Well, back then they would make these oaths. And they would swear to the earth, they would swear to God, they would swear to themselves, to their own heads, to whatever. They would make these swearing statements. And when they would make them, basically Jesus is saying here that you have no control over heaven. You have no control over the earth. You can't even control the color of your hair. Naturally, I should say. I don't know if they had died back then. You can't make one hair white or black just thinking about it. You don't have power. So who are you to even swear over these things? Who are you to even say this? And he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Think about it. Why do we even have contracts? You know, now even with marriage, we have prenups. It's, it's just like we have a contract for everything. The reason why we have contracts for everything is this, because I don't believe you. Because we as people inherently don't trust one another and we are not people of our word. And so Jesus is saying the reason why you make these oaths, the reason why you swear to the degrees that you do is because you are inherently distrustful. You know, I've learned something and hopefully you can learn from this wisdom. The more somebody tries to get you to believe that they're going to do something, the higher the probability is that they're not going to do it. So if someone just is like, yo, I promise you, I swear, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be there. I tell you, don't worry. I'm going to get there. I'm, uh, you can count on me, blah, 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 blah. And then you're looking at your watch like, yo, son, this guy is still not here, and they ain't ever showing up. <laughs> but what Jesus is constantly doing here is he's saying, look, it matters your character because your character is a testament to who you follow. 
And if our character reflects the character of everyone else, then, then there's been nothing that's changed in our hearts that tells them that we serve and follow someone different than in this world. See, Jesus is not happy with us just coming on a Sunday and singing some songs and listening to a message. What he wants is obedience from his people. What he wants is a new heart, a renewed mind, a following of his spirit day in and day out that does something in our hearts that changes who we are. If we come here week after week after week and nothing ever changes in our heart and in our attitude, then something is wrong. I question who we're following. Are we following good feelings that we feel on Sunday? Are we following our goosebumps or are we following Jesus and being obedient to his spirit? Two very different things, but two people that lift their hands on Sunday could look the same, but inwardly two very different things could be happening. And what does Jesus say here? He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. And next time when you want to swear to everything in your mom... Ask yourself, am I lying to this person now? See, a lot of times, even in Christian culture, we say yes to everything. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way in hell I'm doing that. <laughs> and we've said to one another, it's people-pleasing, outward righteousness. As long as I smile, nod, and say yes, they'll think I'm good. But what's really happening in my heart is not important. And Jesus is constantly reversing the cultural norms. No, actually, it's more important what's happening in your heart than what happens on the outside. Because what happens in the heart speaks to how you are on the outside. And I don't want us to be legalistic about this either. It's very easy. It's just like if I say yes to something and something comes up and you got to cancel, yo, you got to cancel. It's okay. But what's important here is what? Character. And character is about patterns and motives of your heart. And that's what Jesus is interested in. If you realize, like, hey, I told somebody I was going to be somewhere at a certain time and I could never get there at that time, what happens? You realize there's a character issue. It's not a personality issue. It's a character issue. And Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Every time you tell somebody you're going to help them, you're going to be there for them, and you never show up, I pray, Holy Spirit, conviction in the name of Jesus, that God would deal with our character and that even in our relationships with one another, when we tell someone yes, that it means yes. And that we realize the weight of that word, even in something like marriage. See, at the end of the day, what I realized from this passage is this. God cares about everything from the little nitty-gritty details about our life. Like if we tell someone we're going to be somewhere, somewhere at some time and actually showing up 
to the very large, grand things about our life, about something as important as marriage, which is probably the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. God cares about the very smallest things that we say to the very biggest things that we do in our life. Because as we sang today, you are worthy of it all. What Jesus asked for is not a portion of our heart, not 1%, not 10%, not 99%. He says he wants it all, and it's an all or nothing kind of thing. You either follow me or you do not follow me. And when you follow me, guess what? The burden of the law becomes weightless because I send my Holy Spirit to come and be your helper. And he empowers you with a new heart and a new mind to be a new man and woman, to walk in obedience to him. And I pray today that if this is a weight on your shoulder... That you go to Jesus and you cast your burdens and you cast your cares on him. And you realize that in him you have freedom and in him you have empowerment. And sometimes after something like this we can maybe just seem bogged down, but that's not what God wants to come across today. What he wants to come across today is this, that he has sent his Holy Spirit and he has empowered us to live obedient lives as disciples. That was what was impossible to follow in the Old Testament now has been made possible in the new with his Holy Spirit that once was only given to a select few in Israel now has been poured out on all flesh. That we have personal relationship with him and a community of believers to walk through this with. Why don't you pray with me instead? Praise you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that you are full of truth and grace. That you break down, but you also bind up. That you sow the wounds, God. You heal the hearts. And that you care for your people. God, and we look at your understandings of marriage and oath-taking, and we can look at you today and say, you meant it when you said that you loved us, that you sacrificed everything for us. And when you called us your sons and your daughters, that you are not a man that you should lie but that we can come before you today knowing that your yes always means yes and your no always means no. So God, what you have promised and what you have told us, we can be bold about understanding today that we are your children that are deeply loved no matter how deeply sinful we are. And that we can find repentance and forgiveness in your presence. And that your Holy Spirit come today to convict our hearts and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
And change. 